So tonight, we're going to try to, I'm going to just draw a little picture up. I like to draw pictures. I just can't, I can't talk without a whiteboard or something in front of me or behind me. What I want to do is connect together some ideas that Larry's been talking about uh, between perichoresis, meta-narrative, things like that, and kind of talk about how does all that stuff fit together? Because kind of the quick version of the meta-narrative is I like to compare it to worldview or theology. So we all may have a worldview, what we say is our worldview or our theology. And comparatively, to me, worldview or theology is what you say you believe, and the meta-narrative is what you really believe. It's what you're, in your heart of hearts, how you really act and react. So it must be something deeper. And the question is, is how do we reconcile those two? Or how do we change? And, you know, Romans 12, 2 said, I need to be a little less hot here on the mic, I guess. Romans 12, 2 talks about how we could be transformed by the renewing of our mind. And so part of that is to say, how do we take the truth, get it into our mind in order to be transformed into what God really wants to see coming out of us? And so what I'm going to do tonight is try to tie together some ideas between, you know, we've talked about perichoresis, and I think Larry has said that we want to go to an understanding or a theology that's fundamentally rooted in relationship with God. And so I'm going to go through a little chart. We're going to go through the entire history of the world tonight. <laughs> we're going to, and we're going to see how that works out with our theologies and our what we say we believe and what we think. Now, I only have one, one or two ground rules here. So I'm going to cover a lot of things that people have widely varying opinions on. And so all I'm going to say is, let's kind of bound ideas and say, I kind of see this. Maybe I don't see that. Be respectful of, hey, everybody, like we all have opinions. Some of us have weird opinions. Like I know there's things I believe that are minority opinions. Okay. Straight up I know I'm in the minority of what people believe there's for certain things. You know, if you think about even things in this church, like even the fact if you believe God heals you and wants to have you healed, that's a pretty minority opinion within the broad church. That's not a common opinion. You know, so we're in the minority. Uh, so part of this is what we're going to learn is what do we need to hold fast to? What do we need to say? What do we need to hold loosely? And what do we need to do to try to assemble all of the things? And this isn't going to be too hard. This will be a fun discussion, okay? I'm going to cover everything tonight. Okay, I'm actually trying to avoid hitting covenants too heavily, okay? That may come up, but that may get too messy. So here's what we're going to do. First, we're going to draw a timeline, all right? This is... Oh, I'm going to have to draw left-handed. If we think of all of time, okay, don't do good left-handed, but that's all right. So the first thing we're going to have on our timeline is creation, okay? I'll go ahead and put everything on the timeline so that you know what we're going to talk about. And then we're going to talk, what I really want to cover is what happened and what's different at various places in time, okay? Because what we're going to do is we're going to try to overlay the things we've talked about and say, What's going on, and when did anything happen? 
Okay, so there was the creation. Depending on who you believe, that's somewhere between 4,000 to 5,500 BC or so, or you know, whatever. Who knows? There's all sorts of opinions on that one. Then the fall happened. I'm going to leave out. Then what's the most important thing in the history? Then I'm going to put that right there. That's the cross. Okay. We might talk about 70 AD just because that might be interesting. It's something happened. Okay. So we're going to look at it. Stuff happened. And what the why, what does it mean? Okay. Then let's look at our lives. Somewhere in time, you were born. Somewhere in time, you had something transformational. We'll call it salvation, okay? So that's our little cross for us. Somewhere at some point in time, you will die, okay? And then somewhere, depending on your theology, well, it doesn't matter what your theology is, it's going to happen. It's just we, don't, we have an opinion on when it's going to happen. We're going to get a resurrected body. So there's something in the future. So depending on what you believe, this gap can either be zero to many years to somewhere in heaven or something. So it could be. So we don't need to worry about how far that is. Just that at some point, something will be different when the earth is done. Whatever that is, whatever our theology is. So let's go back to the second enough places. Everybody got those all clear? So that's all the important stuff. So we're going to leave out, for at least now, the covenants of Abraham and Israel and all that stuff, because I think that's too much. All right, so let's talk about creation. How did God create us? What, what is the motivation, the heart? If we're going to talk about everything Larry said, with perichoresis and relationship, what's the heart of God in creation? Why did God create? I mean, to me, that's the fundamental. Why did God do that? Okay, he, family and fellowship. Okay, what's, that, what's the heart behind that? Love, okay? There's something about God that desires more relationship. Okay, and I think that's reflected in the idea of perichoresis. If God, you look at the beginning, God says he created man in his image. God wanted us to be bearers of the image of God. How is that reflected? The more we multiply, right? Then the next thing God says is go forth and multiply. And it's not just about having kids. It's let's take that image of God and replicate it. So God is glorified in seeing that image of those relationships replicated again and again and again. That really is the glory of God, okay? So then, the next thing that we'll talk about is the fall. When we call the fall, some people have a different word for it, but it's the day Adam and Eve sinned. And, and we don't know whether that was a week later, a month later, years later, or what. That's kind of unclear. It was at least a few days because it talked about how God would visit them in the garden. So at least he visited a few times. So, what was their state before the fall? Well, actually, what was the fall? What, what did they do? Okay, and the specific thing they gave into is what did they eat from? Okay, good, you got all the words in there. That's good. The tree of the knowledge 
of good and evil. Okay, so if they ate from that, what can we assume they didn't have before they ate from that? The knowledge of good and evil. Well, if they didn't know good from evil, what did they know? They knew God. So how did they live? They walked with God. Okay? Now, once they ate from the knowledge of good and evil, they made a choice. And that choice was, we're not listening to God, but we ourselves are now going to make judgments based on whether something is good or evil. We have to evaluate now. Okay, so that was the beginning of religion. And in fact, what did they do to try to solve the problem? They clothed themselves. They covered themselves up. So that was man's first attempt at religion, which is to try to make themselves right again. And then God came in and took care of it, killed animals, covered them with skins and blood, basically, symbolically. But they now something was different now. Okay? Now, let's talk about what is and is not different. Did they no longer have a relationship with God? Okay, so they continued to have a relationship. Okay, because right, some theologies, it's now God's mad and doesn't want to talk to you anymore. Is that really the case? No, because we see in the next, well, right then, he's back there talking to him and then clothing him, right? And then the next chapter, Cain kills Abel, and Cain's talking to God. This is a murderer, is having a chat with God about, will you protect me? And what was God's answer? Yeah, I'll take care of you. So clearly, what we didn't lose from that fall or that mistake, whatever you want to call it, we didn't lose relationship. However, something did change. So the relationship did not change, but there's something characteristic that changed. I'm going to throw a couple. I got some verses for some of this stuff, but some. If you look at Genesis, man, we already looked at the fall part. Let's look at Romans 8, 22. Something happened in the universe. They were Feel afraid. to talk a lot, because the whole point of this is let's explore what did God really, what did God do? What did we do? What happened? So Romans 8, 22 talks about, it says, we know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth, right up to the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit grown inwardly as we eagerly await for our adoptions of sons, the redemption of our bodies. Ooh, so that's something about the future. For in hope we were saved, but in hope that is not... I don't want to keep reading all that. But it talks about that even creation is groaning. There's something happened in creation at the fall. Now, there's a million theories on that. Anybody heard all these different heard all the different, I mean, there's the, the earth turned and it got off its tilt. There's the canopy theory. There's um, even there's early rabbis from the 1300s that they believe that the earth, well, and actually they were rightly so, but they said, re- judging by their reading of the creation story, 
that the universe was 10-dimensional, four of which are knowable. It is three dimensions plus time, which is actually the current theory in physics is that there's 10 or 11 dimensions. So one theory is, did Adam and Eve lose some dimensionality, their connection to the spirit? I don't know. You know, there's a lot. Unfortunately, it doesn't tell us. But something changed in the universe and the world. And there's something changed with us because now instead of walking in that same way, we walked according to the knowledge of good and evil. So what are the ramifications daily of walking towards good and evil? I mean, that's fundamentally what religion is. Because what do you have to have in order to have the knowledge of good and evil? I have to have the knowledge of good, and I have to have the knowledge of evil. So now I need lists of stuff, right? I need rules, I need laws, and then in order to apply the laws, now I have to judge which law applies at which time, which rule applies at this time. So now we become judges in our heart all the time. And then we get to judge other people as to, are you performing according to the rules? Are you doing what needs to happen? And so forth. And that's where we now start building all these structures of management of behavior, and so basically, that's kind of the state of the world without Christ, is we manage behavior, we manage people through rules, regulation. Now, are any of those rules necessarily wrong or bad? Is the Ten Commandments bad? Are the rules of the Old Testament bad? No, it says they're good. However, it even says in the New Testament, they're there even to guide those who will not be led according to the Spirit. So, let's look at our next guy there. Something happened at the cross. So this is roughly the year 29 AD. Anybody know why it's a weird year? Jesus lived to be 33 and a half. Okay, quick trivia question. What year was Jesus born? Who knows? 4 BC. Does that make sense? Jesus was born four years before Christ. Do you know why that happened? This is why years are crazy. So you go read the Bible, how'd they date stuff? This guy was happened in the year of King Uzziah in the second year of his rule and stuff like that. So that's how calendars were up through then. Or this is in the year of Caesar Augustus, and they dated according to various things. Well, what happened is somewhere when Pope Gregory invented the Gregorian calendar, he said, we're going to date everything at the birth of Jesus, and that'll be the year one is the birth of Jesus except that he was off by four years. So he made a mistake. So that's why everything is kind of strange. So actually the, the fall of was actually in 69 AD, probably depends on that. But now let's look at what happened to Jesus. When Jesus died, and we've talked about this to some degree, why did Jesus come? What was the problem he had to resolve? Okay, so there's some restoration. What did you hear back there? 
to reconcile relationship. Okay? And when he came, was he received? (laughs) He was not received well, was he? So let's look at a couple of verses about the cross. I want to talk about something that happened before and after the cross. Go to Luke 16. Because something changed at the cross. And the question is, what? Because if we ask, we use those verses where it says he was the Lamb of God slain before the foundation of the earth. So as far as God's concerned, when was Jesus crucified? Before the foundation of the earth. So by faith, there are people in the Old Testament that seem to go by faith into what was happening, but then did something actually happen when Jesus died? Or has it always been the same the whole time? Let's read it quick. Here's one that I'm going to... This is more of a theory, some thoughts. Go to Luke 16, verses 19 to 31. You guys remember the rich man and Lazarus. There was a rich man who was dressed in purple and fine linen and lived in luxury every day. At the gate was laid a beggar named Lazarus, covered with sores and longing to eat, and what fell from the rich man's table. Even the dogs came and licked his sores. The time came when the beggar died and the angels carried him to Abraham's side. Okay, so that's the first interesting thing. So in the Old Testament, there's at least a discussion of something called Abraham's bosom or Abraham's side. So there's, there's right, I think Larry covered this before we started coming here on hell. There's a whole lot of different words between Gehenna, Sheol is the grave, Gehenna was the dump, Abraham's bosom is kind of a place where people seem to go, or at least there's some evidence of that. There is Tartarus, Hades, you know. So there's a whole bunch of different words that each have a little bit different meaning. So back to Luke 16. So he's gone down to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried in hell, where he, and that's the word is actually Hades. He said, oops, sorry, I lost my place. He was in torment, and he looked up and saw Abraham far away with Lazarus by his side. So he called to him, Father Abraham, have pity on me, send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in the water and cool my tongue because I am in agony in this fire. Then you have the comparison. Now, here's the interesting question is, is this a metaphor? Is it a parable? Is there elements of reality or what? I don't know. What do you think? There's a lot of, there's a wide opinion on this one. I'm going to give you one hint about a parable. It's the only parable that actually refers to a person by name. So it may or may not be a parable. Or could it be a approximation of the truth that's enough to give a point? So I just want to give you a thought. All right, so hang on to that. 
Because what I'm trying to propose is, this is my opinion, is that something fundamentally changed at the cross. There was faith before the cross into what God was going to do, but something happened at the cross. So let's go next and look at Matthew 27, verses 51 to 53. Here's an odd one. How many have this verse memorized? We'll have the next chapter, you know, the Great Commission. Matthew 27, 51 to 53. says, at that moment, this is right after Jesus dies, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. Okay, so what's that symbolize or a picture of? Access to God, right. So if you go look at the temple, the temple had the outer courts, it had the inner courts where the men could be, had the Holy of Holies where only the high priest could go one day a year. He had to have atonement for himself. He had to be washed. He had to go through all this stuff. He had to have a rope tied around his leg in case he dropped dead so that they could pull him out and he could go through there. And this was a thick, thick, thick curtain. Yeah, you couldn't. There's no, this is like seatbelt thick, you know, the other direction. And yet it ripped from top to bottom. So what's that a picture of? God did the separating because it came from the top to the bottom, which then once again said there is a free access between us and God. So let's go look at the next, the next verse. It says the earth shook and the rock split. The tombs broke open and the bodies of many holy people who had died were raised to life. They came out of the tombs and after Jesus' resurrection, they went into the holy city and appeared to many people. How many of you remember that verse? So what's different here? So here's what I'm proposing. Before Christ, salvation was essentially, in terms of your presence with God, on a credit card, so to speak. We, Jesus took the bill, but it was on credit. When Jesus died, everything was paid, and now all these people could go to the presence of the Father. Why could they not go before? Because I don't think the actuality of the blood and the restoration of them was there. There was a promise for them, and there was a waiting for that to happen. That makes sense? When Christ came, it was, I guess my arrow should go from there. Now in the New Testament, what does Paul say? He says like to be abs. oh, go for it. Can you just clarify? Um, Larry's taught for a long time now about mm -hmm. no separation. Mm -hmm. And when we were talking about the fall, there was still communication. Yeah. God didn't leave. There was no separation. So now we're talking about after the cross, and it sounds like I'm hearing a yeah. little bit about restoring relationship. So, I don't, yeah, I don't think it's anything. It's and this is part of, I think this is the key point of our discussion tonight. I figured this one out because I don't think there is separation in the sense of a lack of communication with God. Yet there's something like, let's go look at Moses. Moses talked to God as a man face to face, right? 
But then Moses said, I want to see your glory. I want to see all of you. And what was God's answer? He said, you can't. I can show you the the afterwardness of my presence. So there's something different. Now, I don't know what. See, this is part of what I want to work through tonight. Something's different. He clearly wants to have a relationship, and we clearly had a relationship, and we continue to have relationship. However, it appears, and this is, again, it's hypo- part of the hypothesis depends on one is the whole Abraham's side thing, and Matthew 27, where they came out of the tomb and now they go up and now they have risen from the grave. So the question is, what is different between that? So there's a, I think there's something different between having a relationship with God and then being fully in the presence of God in all of his glory. Perhaps, I don't know. Okay. Thoughts? I just wanted to clarify yeah. the relationship piece. Right. So it wasn't that those people, even in the Old Testament, couldn't talk to God, right? Because David, I think, understood with great clarity the presence and nature of God and saw through even a lot of the laws to where he could see the reality of God behind them. Yeah. Yeah. um, If I understood, the difference would be that there was probably, I, I know there's always been a relationship, mm-hmm. but I don't think a lot of the people on earth realized that the relationship could be two-way. When Jesus died, shed his blood, he became the new veil, and he gave us access into the throne room. Yeah. With, he's the last sacrifice, right? Right. No more sacrifices necessary. So now we have relationship with the Father and have Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And we can really experience now heaven on earth, just like we pray in the Lord's Prayer. So don't you think that what really happened after the death of Christ is now we truly have the kind of relationship that we want, the loving relationship, not just pray to the Father and hope he hears type thing? I think there's at least that, yeah. But there seems to be, and this is, I think this is kind of the core, I think, the discussion I want to have here tonight is to, there is some subtlety in there. And I want to figure out where it is, right? Because I think this is the key thing that we can get stuck on is, because here's, let's, let's bound this, right? If we say we always have relationship with God, what does that mean? Okay, so the bounding of that on one end is, well, then everybody's saved, there's nothing different, there's no salvation, everybody's in, and everybody has everything. That's one end of that possibility, The next end is, we all are free to talk to God. He is available. Is there something that happens at some point? And that's our next little three guys over there. Is there there somebody online? Yeah. Jump on in. Yeah, thank you, sir. I was just going to ask a question uh, about yeah. the veil that was torn. Whose idea was it? Do we know whose idea was to have the veil in the first place there? Is there enough plans was given by God to Moses? So originally it was even in the tabernacle and the first plans. uh, Right. The tabernacle was in the wilderness. And then the second temple, it was actually like everything is like twice the size, I think, in the second temple. I'm a little rusty on all those details, but uh, there was even in the older one, there still was a veil in the original tabernacle. 
So, so I think that's, that might be the key to our understanding is God clearly didn't leave communication out, but what is the picture of the veil? What is not, what was not accessible before the veil was torn? And I'm leaving that as an open question here because I think that's one of the key things we need to discover. Okay. Right. Correct. So, what what was the average the average person was not going into the presence of the holy of holies? So, there's maybe and okay. So, I'm just throwing out words to start a conversation. Is there something about the presence of God? And I'm going to put that in a big sense of presence versus we can talk to God, okay? Because I want to compare that to Moses, right? Moses talked to God face-to-face, it said, or as a man face-to-face, but he did not get to stand in the presence of the full glory of God. There's something different there. Can I throw in a question about the Holy Spirit? Sure. Um, it seemed that the Holy Spirit was assigned to people at certain, certain times. times. I'm guessing, like David was saying, don't take your Holy Spirit from me? Terminology in the Old Testament that refers to the Holy Spirit coming upon people. So you can argue that that's a coming and going. You can argue well, that. I got the feeling that if he was anointed, David was anointed, and because of that, he gets to have the Holy Spirit from them. That's just my guess. Yeah. And I think... That's a darn good question. And so that would be one of my, I would say, I would posit that that is a true statement that in the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit Spirit came and went, not as any utterly left you, but he did not indwell in the sense of the New Testament. Now, I wouldn't fight and die over that one, but it's, it seems to be a terminology, at least in the Old Testament, that it talks much more about the Holy Spirit coming upon people at various times as opposed to the Holy Spirit indwelling people. I throw in one more thing. You didn't hear me early on when you would asked what was different when uh, mm-hmm. Adam and Eve ate from the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Okay. Um, my, uh, my, what I threw in there was the word fear. Good. Okay. So, so fear. That was different from that point on. Yeah, so in fact, actually, we should word or two here, right? So at this point, we had, we had fear. Yeah, how would you tell me more about that? Because I, I think I agree with you, but I want to hear what you think in that. Oh, yeah, you're, you're going to say enough that you got to go to the mic. You've now committed to the microphone. Sorry. <laughs> you don't, <laughs> yeah. I'll repeat the real short questions, but if... I don't know that I have a concise list. Yeah. I don't know that I have a concise list. Fear Uh would be an emotion that we could probably succumb that wasn't present prior to that. Mm -hmm. Um, Anxiety, I would imagine. That's Mm -hmm. part of fear. Yeah. Mistrust. A self-aware... Okay. Self-awareness, that's a great... So, yeah. In fact, I want to call that otherness. So they now view themselves in an other sense, probably more shame. Absolutely. Because they're hiding now, right? 
Now, and this is important in the relationship with God. Was God the one putting shame on them? No. Yet somehow there's something about us <laughs> where we sure take it, right? Raise your hand if you want some shame, <laughs> right? So if those are there, here's what's weird, right? Christ did something about that. And a lot of Paul's words are about living in the reality of those promises of what he says you now are. Like, let's take the flesh, for example. He says our flesh was flesh was crucified with Christ. It's no longer I live who for Christ who I have to actually think through the verse to not talk and look at other people. <laughs> yeah, Christ. Yeah, you heard it all. And yet it appears as though we have admonitions to not walk according to the flesh. So there's something about we need to live in the reality that Christ has produced as opposed to something which was there as a result of the fall. So tonight's night is less of a lecture and more of a, an experimental discussion to try to force us through some reconciliation. Because the goal here is to reconcile, because we all have these ideas about, well, I, here's what's the presence of God, or I have Jesus, or Jesus is with us. It's like, well, what do we really mean by that? What's different? What's happened and what's changed? What did Jesus really do? And how has that changed that? What do you think, Sonny? You got a thought? All right. But it says that you know what? Well, good idea. It says that they were naked and ashamed. So I say, I think naked they, and on it. Well, I guess after they were ashamed, right? Yeah, but yeah, you know, fear to be fully seen, known is a big issue. Mm -hmm. And I think that's, we experience that with one another, you know, not in, in, in all realms. We don't want to be known now fully because mm -hmm. of exposure of a deficit or, or right. a stain, whatever you want to call it, or non-acceptance now that I'm, yeah, am what I am. And so, so, what is the root, and I think this is the, one of the keys, what is the root issue of why we think that way? Uh, you know, some of it, I'm, knowledge in, of good and evil mm -hmm. puts you in a place where you're vulnerable to not have it not have the mm -hmm. fullness of something. You, you're at a deficit. You're... Yeah. Um, yeah. So in Christ, so this is my comparison, in Christ we have a new identity, right? Mm -hmm. So in Christ, I'm learning to have that my identity is Him, not my failures, mistakes, my errors, and so forth. And if I can truly walk in that and trust that that is who I am, then I don't have the struggles the other way, right? But as long as I view myself according to the flesh, according to what other people think, mm -hmm. 
then I'm open to those judgments, right? Even if people aren't judging me, I'm assuming they're judging me because I'm judging them, right? And we've kind of turned to the source again, mm-hmm. away from the tree, and now we're, we're realizing that, yeah, it's just a new... Hey, can we ask Sonny or whoever's talking at the mic to get closer to the mic? Or yeah, you gotta. Yeah, gotta be. Yeah, talk closer. Okay, so you're done, and okay. So, yeah, there's something that we we've, we've been put into that we've we're no longer, you know, choosing that that way that good and evil that. I mean, we can mm-hmm. literally have a source now. It's like the source of life. Who yeah, is the it? source of life where yeah. we're repelling good and evil. Mm-hmm. Um, or always gaining the knowledge. Uh, I don't know if that makes sense. Yeah. He literally says we have his mind now. Yeah. Well, now we have the mind of Christ. So, yeah. And the, okay, that's good. Anyway. Let's check. Doris, what did you have to say? Well, my comment, can you hear me? Yep, your mic. Okay, good. (laughs) Uh, My comment was in regard to the discussion about Moses' interaction with God requesting to see his glory and the comments about King David. And I think what I see there is that both of them had the desire to have more knowledge of God. And I think that David, you know, because of his years um, with the sheep and by himself, he had perhaps, you know, quite a bit of time to be able to develop that and, and had experiences and felt the presence of the Lord. And and then Moses, and he probably as well, but, you know, because that was a hunger question that Moses had. He wanted to know more about God than what he had known already. And so I think what that exemplifies is that both of those were people who had a greater interaction with God because they chose to. And then, of course, there's Enoch, who, um, you know how, uh, right. And as a child, having been saved as a child and not really receiving a lot of Bible teaching, I was... Um, into my adult life for some time before I actually paid attention to Hebrews 11, where it said that Enoch went to heaven by faith, which indicates that I had had the concept as a child that God just decided one day, hey, we're having so much fun, just come on to my house. And But Enoch is in that hall of faith, which means he had faith for that. That was something he was desiring and had a hunger for. So what I'm seeing is that there was an an accessibility to God prior to uh, the crucifixion 
Jesus's coming and and the crucifixion. And I think there could have been and there very likely were many more people who had that hunger for God. And so what I see with Jesus's crucifixion and the tearing of the veil was removing any of the obstacles that had come into the earth and um, because of the fall. And so it was then, okay, now we can go back and get closer to the relationship of what Adam and Eve, you know, may have had. And um, that's the way I'm seeing it. That's great. Yeah. In fact, I want to touch on one word Sonny said too about going on with this is he used the word life and being connected to the life because Bob Hamp has a whole story on this. And he talks about one of the things of the fall is it's like losing your glasses. They were connected to the life source and they lost that. And they said, it's like losing your glasses. Because now once you lose your glasses, you have two problems. You don't have your glasses, and you don't have your glasses to look for your glasses. So, <laughs> so when we got cut off from the source of life, we had no source of life to look for the source of life. So we were groping on our own to try to come to this thing again, which then uh, Christ ultimately solves entirely. So we weren't cut off, this is, and this is where I went, we want to kind of discuss these things. We weren't in any way cut off from God, but we entered into a mindset we were not, where we were no longer walking with God in that same way. You want to say something on that, Just huh? Just one thing. I'm trying to still figure out how to express yeah, it exactly. I, I don't want to take you away from no, where you go. Want to go, but just kind of a summary for me uh-huh. as I'm thinking about before the fall and after. Um, I mean, prior to it, there there wouldn't have been any self-consciousness. It right. would have just been enjoying being loved by God mm-hmm. and walking with Him. And then after their eyes are off him and they're on them. They're on themselves. They're on hiding. They're on self-protecting. They're in fear. They're in trying to do the works and all those other things. Because it says their eyes were opened. So they now saw things differently, right? Yeah. But the focus Mm -hmm. seemed to now be totally on self. Yeah. And now they, their, their mindset seems to have been now, shifted away mm-hmm. from just being loved by God. Yeah. And so I think after the cross, there's more the capacity of appropri- reappropriating the revelation of being loved as sons and daughters Yeah. rather than back to continuing to try to work. Right. To, to make myself okay. Yeah. In fact, if we take... All those words, and even like Larry, did we talk what, two weeks ago, Larry talked about what is sozo, salvation, that word, right? And if we look at it, take last week's talk about body, soul, and spirit. 
what would it mean to be restored in body? That's healing, right? What is it in to be sozoed in your spirit, your pneuma, or not, I'm sorry, in your pneuma, your mind? That's achieving that mental health, the proper right mental attitude. What does it mean in the spirit? It means that restoration back in that relationship with God. So the sozo is all of this. Well, in fact, let's use a different one now, right? All of this gets dealt with here. It's fully given to me at some point where I've really received it, but we still aren't quite always manifesting all of that yet, are we? We still have illness sometimes. We still have those things. Something is going to happen eventually where everything is made manifest in those promises. Now, does that mean we can't have it yet? It just means we typically don't. We're not. Yeah. Why is that little process there? So you're born, there is some place where we will call it, you are saved. There is a transformative experience in your life, and I don't want to fight over the when that is and how that is, but I'm just saying... You're saying that the effect of that transform, or the effect of those things you'd circled haven't been dealt with until... Dealt with here at the cross. Then what's the line of the cross view? This is me saying I've now received all that benefit. I've come in in line with it. So I am born, and if I don't know Christ, I have not received all that benefit yet. When you say received, does that could it somehow be made aware of or experienced? Oh, but yes, you could. That's one way you could say it. I believe it is an actual uh, reality or transformative experience that does take place. Minimally, it's an awareness of so that is reality. Well, my opinion is, I believe there is some point where it, where you receive that, whether or not. You know, you, we can get into, I don't even want to, that's not really the point of this one, is to discuss the eternal who's in and out kind of stuff. That's not the point. I mean, we can talk about that, but that's kind of a, I want to leave that one for Larry to argue over. Because I've, I've got a strong opinion on it, but it's one that it's like, yeah, I, I absolutely believe you get saved at a point in time and those that don't. Now, what happens afterward and whether they have a second chance, but that's all open for discussion. So I'm not going to, so, yeah. But you're, you're postulating the idea that we don't necessarily get the full experience or value or whatever of the things that Christ has done. That there are people who are not getting the full experience of what Christ has done. Right. Whether it's because they're not aware of it or because they haven't received it, that's a point of argument, but it's clear that they are not living out that benefit. Okay, but then... For whichever reason it is. Can we relate this to Christ being slain before the foundation of the world as well? That something had to happen at a certain time at four, minus 4 B.C.? 
So this minus four BC is almost like a saving thing. It is certainly when the work, the work was finished. So when Jesus died on the cross, he said, it is finished. So all the work he was going to do was complete at that moment in time. I'm seeing a weird parallel. It's interesting how that, a thing happened then and yeah. salvation happens to, mm -hmm. to set something further into reality. Right, and I think that's a long, there's a long, the, the, the thing is this, he has given this absolutely clearly, he has made this provision, as far as God is concerned, all your sins are taken away, as far as the, all those barriers have been removed, he has, uh, you know, there's just boatloads of promises in there. Um, I think there's enough uh, points otherwise that you go read, almost everything Paul wrote, there is a decision and a choice about this in almost every single one of his books about this is available if you believe. So that's a common enough point that I think that's something you at least need to wrestle with. All right, so here comes the schoolmaster needs to talk. <laughs> I just had a thought about, I had a thought about Ronnie's question. Uh, I would create kind of a natural parallel because one of the things that this is all about is this, you're not in your timeline isn't just talking about spiritual things. You're talking about physical things as well, like bodily resurrection at the end and all this kind of stuff. And so um, I, I appreciate that, that, that you're not in a position to try to throw out a definitive statement on all the parsing of the details. And I agree with you. So to, to the question of, of required, is, is it required? And I would say um, if, if there's enough water in the world to slake your thirst, is it required for you to drink it to have your thirst slaked? And the answer is yes. What is it required by? A rule? No. A law? Maybe, depending on how you look at laws. It's required by the physical nature of how you interact with water and how it gets into your system and how it slakes your thirst and, and hydrates your cells and stuff. So to me, the, the, the question is not so much one of provision or even the effectiveness of the provision when viewed from the provision side. Uh, the, the question is, does the nature of taking the one thing and making it available to the many or applying it to the many and the many to individually receive it as, as a, a part of the many, you know, is that what creates the requirement for something like belief or something like receiving or something like faith? Um, something that I've come to believe is that faith doesn't create anything. Faith can only connect us with something that is created already or that is already a reality. If I believe with all my heart and have faith uh, without doubting that uh, there's such a thing as green and white striped elephants, well, if there is, my faith might uncover them where others have overlooked them. But if they're not, my faith won't create them. Does that make sense? That's to me, yeah. So, 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 so I, I, um, I think the question is a valid one. Like, the, is it required? But we have to understand that 
the whole concept of required is a contextual word. Of saying it. And I think practically, at some level, I mean, you've got the heaven and hell issue, but practically in your personal life, it's irrelevant whether it's a receive versus believe. Either way, you're messed up if you don't believe for the rest of your life or there's issues. And either way, the reception of that is, or belief of that, is a transformative experience. So, I think that's important to keep in mind is, uh, like you know, you 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 just alluded to heaven and hell. Heaven and hell, if they're if they're what we understand them to be, they're yeah, no, no, no. That's that's totally fine. And that's not yeah. Even looking yeah. at yeah, but those are those destinations, destinations, right? Uh, or their places. They're not relationships. And 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 so I think what you said early on in this thing is we got to keep in mind that the only the meaningful answer to these questions is how it relates to our relationship, the relationship that is extended to us, the relationship that we're engaged in. So it's hard to it's hard to stay focused on that point. It's hard for me to stay focused on. It. I understand that because we got years of conditioning. From the fun, speaking of the thundering herds, they're they're arriving here. <laughs> Sorry, I took your last two minutes. No, that's okay. I think that's a great last, just to kind of tie it up, unless there's some other points. One of the keys here is something is missing, either experientially or whatever, on that side, between the birth and my reception or understanding. Something is transformative and wonderful in this point regardless of worrying about destination, we, we, we have life. And we have a whole life to live and live abundantly. And that's in because of recognition, reception, whichever way you want to put it, of the work of Christ now deposited and living there in my life. And that's a transformative experience to see that God is now present even in my life. So we've gone from... And this is kind of, are you guys waiting to jump in? All right, I gotta let, let me let you guys jump in and I'll do a final roll up. All right, well just, so it's basically, if we look at this, the real solution or the thing is, we've gone from a loss here. And this is not even for us to solve this tonight, but to give you something to chew on. We lost something here. It was taken care of here and I need to now start living it here. And I need to know what I now have, which is certainly all the knots, you know, but more than that, I have the reality of this relationship with God in an intimate way that we never had before. So go ahead, Sonny. I totally changed my deal, but, you know. <laughs> Get up close there. You know. I think one of the reasons that. Jesus had to come because if God would have just told us, I've taken care of that since the foundations of the world, mm -hmm. because we're relational beings, something about God actually coming to the planet and this played this thing out in front of us, that's the relational part of yeah. him that hooks the reality of what he did. Right. Because I have to, in order to have relationship again in the same way or better, I have to get rid of all of those have to go away. Right. 
Uh, just a question for you, Dan. I, I don't know if I should mm -hmm. probably know this. I'm assuming that, you know, when Jesus told them, that's the tree you don't eat from, the tree yeah. of knowledge of good and evil. But he also created the tree of life at that time. I mean, there was mm -hmm. lots of trees. Right. And we know there's a tree of life now, and that's the one we should be eating from, yep. and not from the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Did they know the significance of the tree of the of life at that time, do you think? Is there anything in this? I would think that, that they did. Well, maybe not. You know, I mean, sometimes it's hard to know the value of something till you lose it. Right. 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 And so I don't know that I can't imagine that they had a full understanding of knowing what life was yeah. without seeing death ever. Yeah. I, I just was so, wondering. I had nothing to really back that up that I know of. So. It's a it's a good question, because there's a lot here where. And part of the challenge tonight, and this is the biggest thing, is to come up with a self-cohesive understanding of the Word of God. Because a lot of times we have theologies that kind of contradict, or self-contradictory. Right. And it's say, okay, how can I, does my theology connect all the dots? And am I consistent, at least, am I at least internally consistent? Because if you're not internally consistent, you yeah. probably got some problems, right? Yeah. So this, this was good, by the way. I, I oh. love the way that you uh, pointed that out on the timeline. Um, yeah, the, the question is, you know, we, we reaped all the benefits when we, first of all, when he died on the cross. But yeah, right. there has to be some kind of acknowledgement. Right. There's, you know. There is somehow it has to be appropriated. Yeah. Whether it's consciously or yeah. whatever. So, well, that's great. Hey, thanks for putting up with my uh, stuff here. This is an adventure to... Let you guys be challenged and uh, kind of force through all that stuff Larry's been teaching and smear it across the timeline and figure out how it all works together. All right, thanks again. Thanks. Thanks.